0: Jesus is the reason for the season. As so we gather on a Christmas Sunday, the Sunday before Christmas, we really gather to tell again the old, old story. It's not a new story, you've heard it before. It's the old, old story of Jesus and his love. We are in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. I'll read through 25. story of the birth of Jesus Christ. Hear the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took his wife. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come this morning on this Christmas Sunday, we would like, Father, to hear again of Jesus and his love, to speak to us of the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and for our salvation, that we might put our faith in him, that we might know him not just this week, but that we might walk with you day by day. Father, we thank you and we praise you for the gift that you have given. Help us to understand it, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas is truly an exciting and distinct time of the year. I'm sometimes surprised even just how really the month of December does stand apart from the rest of the year. There's an aura about it that, uh, that is different from the rest of the year. It has an aura of its own. There is It's a season of goodwill. Everybody is on their best behavior. Most people are on their best behavior. Um, but it is really different, it's unique, it's interesting. People are celebrating, people are changing their focus. But there is the question still as we go through on all this frenetic activity and the lines, I mean even out here it feels like Gunbarrel Road is it just the traffic out here builds, everybody's out and about and doing something, streaming by. But what is it that we're all about? What is Christmas? That's all we want to talk about this morning, what is Christmas. The old, old story. What are we celebrating? Because sometimes it is hard to tell. Whether it's in our own decorations or, you know, Lynn and I walk the block and everybody's got their decorations out in their yard. And, and it's, a, it's this mixed bag of blow-up snowmen and, and reindeer and, you know, Santa and sleighs and, you know, and a manger tucked in. And you might, you know, someone might think that we are celebrating the change of seasons. That we're celebrating winter. So many of the decorations are, you know, they're covered with snow, they're, they're icicles, and there's snowmen and people ice skating, all sorts of wintry fun. A lot of the decorations, you might think that we were celebrating Santa Claus and gift giving, because there's Santa on his great sleigh and the reindeer with moving heads, and and and, uh, <laughs> and always Rudolph with his red nose and stacks of presents and. You know, and it can be kind of like a Where's Waldo in this whole menage of stuff, right? To to pick out in the midst of all of this, there's a Jesus. Every here and there you see a manger or an angel. There are some wise men wandering around. My favorite Christmas decoration, I've told you this before, sits on my front hall bookcase is this. Just a little figurine. If I could only put out one ornament, one decoration every year, I would put out this one figurine. It would sit there at my front door. I have, actually I have two of them now. I actually have a big version of it now as well. And it's, it's, just a, it's, a, it's a figurine with Jesus in the manger, a little bed of straw. And at his feet and on his knees, with his hat in his hand and his head bowed, is Santa Claus. That is awesome. What perspective. Right? This is where, this is the posture of every wise man, like old Saint Nick. Every wise man should be on their knees at the feet of Jesus, worshiping the newborn King. Worshiping. Worshiping Jesus. Right? That's a strong word. It's a word that our culture doesn't fully understand and grasp this idea of, 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 of worship and of worshiping. This baby born in Bethlehem. And so we need to understand who Jesus is. As we come into this season, Or a lot of it doesn't make sense. Because the most controversial thing about Jesus is not, because we have a record of a lot of his life, and the most controversial thing about Jesus is not the things that he did or even the things that he said, and sometimes they were controversial, but the most controversial thing about Jesus is his identity. Who is he? passage that we're looking at this morning gives us two names for this baby that was born in Bethlehem. Two names for this baby lying in a manger, right? We see these two names. One comes to us in verse 21. The angel tells Joseph that she's going to bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. Why? Well, because he's going to save his people from their sins. And then in verse 23, we're told from Isaiah the prophet that the virgin is going to conceive and bear a son and they're going to call his name. It's another name, Emmanuel. And then Matthew translates it. Because this is a message for everyone. We don't want language to be a barrier. And Matthew goes ahead and translates it so that everyone would understand what he is saying is when they will call him Emmanuel, this means God with us. And these are more than just names. And the angel and the prophet name this baby. They are revealing the baby's identity. They're telling us who he is. What he's going to do. His mission and his purpose. Right? And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is to unpack one of those names, especially Emmanuel. Emmanuel tells us, Matthew tells us, means God with us. And we need to understand when when it's translated for us and we're told what this name means, we're given to us, that I believe the prophet intends for us, the Bible intends for us to take that name and its translation quite literally. Quite literally. Jesus' name is also Emmanuel, which is God, with us. Quite literally. In verse 18 and 20, we see as the angel tries to convey this to both Mary and then to Joseph to make sure that they understand. Right, we're told that when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before there was any physical relationship, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. That is from God himself. Right? He says the same thing to Joseph, and he wants Joseph to understand. Verse 20. As he considered these things, behold, an angel appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary's wife, because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God has done something unique here. This is a miraculous pregnancy. The birth isn't miraculous. We talk about the miraculous birth of Jesus. The birth wasn't miraculous. The conception was miraculous. The pregnancy was miraculous. The birth was rather mundane, I imagine. But the conception is miraculous. God does something radically different here. And the big question is, why does it's a creative act of God. It's not done the normal way. You almost have to go back to creation where God creates something. God does something of his own power. He doesn't use the normal processes of generation. He he does something, a creative act. And the question is, why would God come to this young woman and do such a thing? What is God doing? And the answer is really shocking, and we get it in this text and throughout the whole Bible really, but throughout the New Testament, the answer is really shocking. God is creating himself a body. God is creating a body for himself to inhabit, to take to himself, to be born into. God wanted a human body so that he could step into human history. To join us, to be God with us. God wanted a body to step into history. You now this is Christianity, this is the old, old story. This is the, the story that has been told again and again and why the, all the hymns, and you can read every one of them as they try to articulate this sense of wonder of what is going on in Bethlehem, what is going on in this baby. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus is our Emmanuel. So here we confront the mystery of the Trinity. The the mystery that God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. That He is the Father, but that the Son takes on a body. Is born. Comes into our existence. God the Son, the Word of God, took on flesh. You see it in your bulletin under the uh, first point I put there, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14. Very familiar text, but we're told by John, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word is God. And the Word, verse 14, became flesh. The Word who was God became flesh and He dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Put right under that, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, as Paul articulates it later on. He says, in him, that is in the person Jesus, the man Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. It really is a mysterious thing. I mean, I'll confess right up front, there are some things in here that we, when it comes down to how exactly does this work, you know how exactly does God do this? I don't know the answer. There is mystery here. But the but the God who created all things and the God who created human beings and made us in his own image, I have no doubt he could have he could have done it in such a way that he could do this because he intended to do this. The word of God who was in the beginning with God before the creation became flesh, in other words, the son of God did not come into existence when he was born is the man Jesus in the manger that the Son of God existed for all eternity and was God and was with God before the beginning. In other words, he took, he took on a body, but he didn't come into existence. He entered into our world. Jesus, I don't know, some of these things that you just pass by as you read them, Jesus in John 17, it's the great high priestly prayer when Jesus is saying farewell to his disciples. It's the end of his ministry. He's Uh, That very night going to be betrayed and, and, and arrested and executed. And Jesus, as He prays for His disciples and He prays with them, He says this, it's there in your bulletin. John 17, verse 5, He says, And now, Father, glorify Me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. Right here, Jesus' self-understanding. I had and shared the glory of Almighty God, the Father, from all eternity. And the glory that I shared with you before the creation of the world. Now that I face my own death, let there be that resurrection. That I might sit with you again and share that glory again. Right? Jesus perceives himself as one who entered the world on a mission. Right? So the real controversy in Jesus' identity, it, it, the Bible tells us, is, is who is he? Right? It's not what he's done. There are people who struggle over Jesus' life and ministry. They say Jesus, at some point in his ministry, forgives people's sins. People say, how can Jesus do that? How can Jesus forgive sins? Or Jesus heals people. He heals the lame and the blind and the sick. And, and he does these things. Or the resurrection. How is it that Jesus could rise from the dead and people stumble over these things? They, that's miraculous. That's phenomenal. That's, that's not unheard of. That's, that's superhuman. And the answer isn't about each of those events. They all, if, if you step back and say, if Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, that's child's play. If Jesus is God, then all that stuff not only makes sense, you'd almost expect it, right? Wouldn't you? You'd almost expect those things to attend his life and his ministry. If Jesus is Emmanuel, then everything else melts away as a problem, right? This is the message of Christmas God coming into the world, the Creator, the Creator God. Being born as a baby. Stepping into history. That's Christmas. Emmanuel. But Emmanuel means God. With us. Right? With us. In the person of Christ. Spurgeon said that he who was born at Bethlehem. It's there in your bulletin under the second point. Is God. And he is God with us. Now, God, there lies the majesty. God with us, there lies the mercy. God therein is the glory. God with us, therein lies the grace. Right? With us. When it says God is with us, I want us to think about that just for a minute. It means a couple of different things that we need to understand when it says that he was with us. It means both that he was fully human and that Jesus Was a man with a mission. It means that he was fully human. God, who is with us, it means that he became a human being in Christ. We call this the incarnation. The eternal, invisible God added humanity, genuine humanity, to his divinity. Again, it's a thing that's hard to imagine. God doesn't give anything up. He doesn't lose anything in the incarnation. He doesn't cease to be something in the incarnation. But he adds to his divinity. He adds to his deity, our humanity, so that in a very little literal sense, that our humanity is joined to his divinity for all eternity. Christ was raised from the dead bodily. And he continues to be the God-man, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. The perfect mediator. Who is both God and man. Right? So without giving up anything, this incarnation, that he adds humanity to his deity. John 1.14, where it said the word became flesh, became a body, and dwelt among us. Or Colossians 1.15, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the image, right? The invisible God revealing himself in a man. He's born as a real baby. He's a real human being. He lives a real life. He hungers. He thirsts. He cries as a baby because he's hungry. His diapers needed to be changed. You know, there's a couple of the Christmas carols I have trouble with I'm not I'm not sure it was a silent night. Right? If you've if you've had a newborn baby around, it's I mean, I guess you have quiet moments, but there are a lot of no crying he makes. Why not? He's a baby. Maybe at certain times when he was sleeping, he wasn't crying. But when he was hungry, when he needed to be changed, when he was tired, he was a real human being. He lived a real human life. He got hungry. He had to eat. He had to sleep. He walked with his disciples. He shares our humanness without ceasing to be God. The second thing that it means is not only that God with us means that he was truly human, that he was truly sharing in our humanity. The second thing that it means is that Jesus had a mission. That's why he was with us. Because I think begging the question behind all of this, as you say, God became a man. You know, it's all interesting and amazing in many ways and should drop us into wonder the fact that it happened. But the question remains, why would God do this? What was he about? What was he doing? And Jesus' other name, well, the baby's other name, Jesus, gives us the answer to that. Look at verse 21 when we're given his name. Right? Joseph is told not to be afraid. What is conceived is from the Holy Spirit. She's going to bear a son and you're going to call his name Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. We're going to call him Jesus. We're going to call him Emmanuel because he's going to be God with us. And we're going to call him Jesus because his mission is he's going to save his people from their sins. And the name Jesus literally means salvation. Or in some versions of it, it means God saves. And both of them work just fine. That God was on a mission of salvation. He was on a saving mission. God came to be with us in the person of Jesus to save people from their sins. Paul says it, it's here in your bulletin, under the second point there at the end, 1, Peter 2, uh, 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ Jesus came into the world, right? He wasn't just born, but He was sent. He came into the world to save sinners, right? That's the Christian message. That's the old, old story, that Jesus in His love, that in His love, He enters into our world. ...to save sinners, right? Jesus does this. How does he do it? He does it by, t- by living a perfect life, the life that you and I were meant to live. You know, he lived a normal human life. It was a real human life. He, he experienced all the things we experience as human beings... ...but Jesus lived it a bit differently. One of the reasons I believe God made himself a vessel... ...created for himself a body, uh, separate from Adam's fallen race... ...a new act of creation that he could dwell in Christ without sin... And he lived life as it was meant to be. When he originally created us, he created us with the potential to be without sin. He created us with the potential to be like him in true holiness and righteousness. And he takes and creates a body for himself to live the life that you and I fail to live every day. And he lives this perfect human life in, in honoring God, in loving God, in obedience to God, in righteousness. And loving others the way that we are meant to. To love our neighbors ourselves in all of its fullness. And Jesus does this perfectly. And then offers himself and his perfect human life as a sacrifice on the cross. For you and I. To save us from our failure. There it is, First Peter 2.24. He himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Right? He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He offered his own body. And this is, this is the mystery. He, God took on flesh and bone so that he could bleed and die. To rescue us from our sins. To take our place. To pay our penalty. To do for us what we could not do for ourselves. The meaning of Christmas is this time to remember and to celebrate the day when God came near. God is born and he took on flesh and bone and we know why he did it. Why he became that baby. What God was about. Christmas is the dawn of redeeming grace when Christ the Savior was born. And it's not enough to say that Christ Jesus was sent to the world for us. Right? What we need to say is that God came to us in Christ. God came to us in Jesus. The fullness of deity. Sharing our struggles. Sharing our weaknesses. Sharing our temptations. And in the end, even sharing in the experience of our death. And going beyond all of that to suffer the punishment and the penalty due for our sins in his own body on the cross. You know, I saw, just happened to be on this week on one of the off channels on of my TV, the, the movie The Guardian with Kevin Costner. Uh, it's, I think it's a good movie, uh, you know. Uh, you might want to watch it before you let your kids watch it because I can't remember. But it's a, it's a story of the, the, uh, the rescue swimmers and the Coast Guard and how they're trained. And the, and the base for training is up north in Alaska. Kevin Costner goes up there as the great rescue swimmer to train other rescue swimmers, and uh, really is an amazing thing. As we see, as disasters strike us, and we see the first responders out there, well, these guys are the first responders of first responders. When call comes in, usually in up in in, in the dangerous weather of the North Pacific off the coasts of of Alaska, and a call comes in that some. Usually crabbing vessel or some fishing vessel is caught in the storms out there, and the base dispatches a helicopter that flies into the face of the storm. So you got one guy flying the helicopter into the face of the storm. I think he's brave. you got the medic sitting in the back who's there just to, to take whatever is coming in terms of helping people, and he's, I think he's brave. But the brave of the brave is a rescue swimmer. He's the guy who when they get out there over the middle of the North Atlantic in a raging storm of wind and those seas are high and crashing over a boat that is sinking and there are people literally drowning. He comes and he jumps out of the helicopter into the raging frozen waters of the North Pacific to swim over to get a hold of someone so that he can connect them to the saving line and have them hoisted back. In, and he stays down there until they're all up. You know, whether he gets lowered onto a sinking vessel or he jumps into the freezing waters. You know, it was for me as a picture as I'm sitting here Christmas week and I see, you know, these guys jumping out of the helicopter. I'm thinking, that's, that's what God does. God is not sitting back at base somewhere calling out some, somebody else to go do something brave. Right? God is a rescue swimmer. Right? God is the one who jumped out of the helicopter. God is the one who descended from the glory, the Son, and the glory that He had with the Father from before the creation of the world. And He jumps out of the helicopter into, into a human body. And he and He and He endures all that we endure in this life. Experiencing what we experience, entering into our danger, experiencing the cold for us. You know, if we could wrap our hearts and our minds around this truth and believe that God was in Christ, in this baby, rescuing a lost world. That God was in Christ and he took on that flesh and bone so he could die on the cross for your sins, to set you free from them and to make you right with God. We would do like Santa in my little figurine, hat in hand and head bowed. We'd be on our knee at his feet, worshiping Christ, the newborn king, God who is with us, right? Coming to us in the person of Christ, he forever changes the world because once he jumped out in a sense of the helicopter, he is ever near to us, right? The Bible says it changed forever. This was a turning point of history. Everything in history before the birth of Jesus was looking forward to it. And everything since the birth of Jesus has been looking back at it, putting our hope in it, and all that he has for us yet to come. He jumped into the raging, frigid waters of our experience and our humanity. He tasted our weakness. He died for our sins. He made a way for us to draw near to God, to return to the Father. And he says that that changed everything and that you and I, because of Christ, do not need to be afraid to draw near to God. Jesus closed the gap when he jumped into the waters with us. He closed the gap. He was humbly born in a stable. He made himself accessible to every human being. To every one of us who can come to Christ, right? We see it. The shepherds are a great picture of it. He makes himself accessible to humanity and invites us to come. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary laden, and, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls, right? The invitation is broad. And the shepherds are a great picture of this accessible God, this God born in a baby. Because the shepherds are these guys. They don't hesitate to come to Jesus. They hear the message. They're dirty. They're humbly dressed. They're social outcasts living on the margins of society. They stink. They smell. They're not invited to parties. Right? These are the guys on the outside. They're spiritually poor. And when Jesus is born, he's born in a stable, not in a palace. He is born accessible, he's born humbly. Shepherds come to him without hesitation, without embarrassment, without anything else. They go to see this that God has done to find the baby. There it is in your last point in your in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. We don't have a high priest. We don't have a mediator. We don't have a Savior who, is, who doesn't understand us. Who doesn't get us in our weakness, in our failures, and in our humanity. But we have one, a Savior who is able to sympathize with our weakness. One who is in every respect tempted just as we are. But who is without sin. Who succeeded where we fail. And gives everything that he is in his success. To save us from everything that we are in our failure. He came for us so that we could come to him. That's why we celebrate. That's why it is so this God coming to us. So that in this baby when our faith is in him we can come to him. He closed the gap. He became accessible. He became ours. This is the promise. If we come to him in faith, he will never leave you nor forsake you. There it is in John 14. It's the same night before Jesus is is betrayed. And he tells his disciples this. I'm going to ask the Father and he's going to give you another helper to be with you forever. As long as you live and exist on this earth, I'm leaving, right? And that's part of what he's telling his disciples. I'm leaving, but here's the deal. I will send you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. He will dwell with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will never leave you again. I have come and I've come to stay. Right? I've come to dwell with you, right? He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. God with us is a present reality that we're meant to enjoy and to experience day by day. It's one thing to say that God sees us, that he's up there somewhere looking down. It's another thing to say that he is with us, that he walks with us, that he's here now day by day in our joys, but in our sorrows. He doesn't just see them. But he has experienced them himself. And he is with us to walk with us now. Aaron, so there in your bulletin as a prophet, Isaiah, who we read a moment ago in another passage. He says this When you pass through the waters, God says, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames shall not consume you. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Right? Whatever you go through, water and fire are images of any of the struggles, of the pain, of the difficulties of this life. And he says, whatever you pass through, right, I will be with you. This is his promise. Right? This is our hope in Christ that is fulfilled in his coming. I will be with you. I am the Holy One, your Savior. David says it in Psalm 23 in that very familiar passage. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Because you are with me. This is the confidence of every child of God. This is the promise of Christmas. They will call him Emmanuel. They will call him God who is with us. Come thou long expected Jesus. Born to set thy people free. From our fears and our sins release us. Let us find our rest. In thee. Do you know this God? Right? Do you know this God who came for us? Do you know this God who came to forever walk with us? Have you put your faith and your trust in this Baby, at Bethlehem, have you, like Santa in my figurine, taken off your hat and bowed your head and got at your knees at the feet of Jesus and embraced Him as the one whom God has sent to be with us for our salvation? That is Jesus because He saves us from our sins. Have you put your, your hope and your trust in Him to be your Savior? Will you draw near to God in Christ? Jesus is not only the reason for the season. He is God with us every day. Oh, come to us. Abide with us. Our Lord Emmanuel. Pray with me. Come to us. Lord Jesus, come to us. Abide with us. You are our Lord. Emmanuel. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to leave your glory and take on a human body. That you were willing to experience what we experience, To live the life that we failed to live. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a man. You are a man that we can worship. Because you are God. And we will. We bow the knee before you. You are the king. Let every heart prepare you room. Let heaven and nature sing as we embrace you as the Christ who saves us from our sin. May we do it this Christmas, and may we worship you with all of our hearts as we bow and remember the night you took our humanity to yourself to save us. We ask and we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.